chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Not exactly as we drew it up this week. Uh, Tyler and I, this is Sean Fitz, by the way. Tyler and I had a 40-minute uh, episode, all nice, cut and dry, ready to go and ready to post. Jahan Dotson's coming back and receiver outlook and all that kind of stuff. And we felt pretty good about it. Tyler, of course, uh, is moving into his new house today, as some of you have probably seen on Twitter. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, things happen. Uh, things happen out of nowhere. Legitimately stunned. Kirk Shirak is out at Penn State as the offensive coordinator. Mike Yursich is in, uh, really just kind of out of nowhere. And it's uh, surprised a lot of people in the college football community nationwide, especially here at Penn State. Um, but yeah, we, we decided to go back and tack on a runner to this episode. We're obviously going to open up with this news. We're going to put the original show at the end here. Uh, so hopefully we can get um, some time out of that. As I continue to sit here and filibuster, we have Chris Hummer from 24-7 Sports. Chris has been on the show a few times. He's a national writer, also has some uh, Texas connections. Mike Yersich, of course, coming from Texas. Uh, he was previously at Oklahoma, or excuse me, at Ohio State, Oklahoma State. Before that, in the PSAC at Shippensburg. So he's been around. He's put up some numbers. And uh, I, I guess, Chris, bringing you in here, what's your thoughts on the surface of this at the hire itself, getting rid of Kirk Shirock after one year and turning it over to Mike Yersich is, is certainly uh, a statement move. Yeah. I like you was, I was, I was pretty surprised this morning. Kirk Saracha, I know, I know it didn't go particularly well this year for Penn state, but I would argue he was the biggest coordinator hire of last off season. I thought he would make a pretty immediate impact there. Obviously, with the pandemic and everything else, I kind of thought he would get a second year to kind of right the ship, maybe get his system a little bit more with his personnel after dipping into the transfer portal a little bit like Penn State did. But James Franklin, I guess you got to give him credit. He made a really decisive move and he hired Mike Yersich, who I consider to be one of the better play callers and coordinators in college football. And like if you step back half a step and just kind of ignore the surprise of the news, it makes sense for Mike Yersich to end up at Penn State. He is a Pennsylvania guy. He played quarterback at St. Francis, or he played quarterback at California University in Pennsylvania. Um, he had part of his career at Edinburgh University. I don't even know how to pronounce that. He was at St. Francis as well. Like he has been around the Pennsylvania area for most of his life. So him returning here for the biggest job in Pennsylvania, maybe outside of um, James Franklin's job, at least in college, uh, makes a ton of sense for Penn State and Mike Yersich. It, it's crazy because you look at the national radar and Penn State, you look at as a program that's not going to make these shock moves, um, not going to make these big boy moves. And then all of a sudden just comes out of nowhere. Yersich was a guy that we had on our list, I believe, last year when they hired Kirk Shiraka. Um, I think he I think I read he was making one point seven million at Texas. Obviously, you know, let go with the staff there at, with Tom Herman. But I mean, this is a guy that you know, in terms of name brand recognition, in terms of uh, the the records that he's set and the, the style of offense that he brings, it's just kind of like, okay, this is a this is an announcement on the college football landscape, and you don't really see that from Penn State all that often. Yeah, no, it's it's a jarring move from Penn State, which, like as you said, is usually conservative. Like I think conservative in terms of their kind of staff changes, conservative and 
the way they kind of approach things. There's kind of a Penn State brand that goes back to the Joe Paterno era that like you don't really see shakeups like this, but like James Franklin clearly saw something this season that did not work and he made a really immediate action to kind of alleviate that issue. And I I think it'll be really interesting to follow and I have no doubt my gear is just going to be successful. But um, I mean, I'm sure y'all talk about this at nauseum, but it almost comes down to them finding a quarterback to work in the system with them. But yeah. the system he's bringing um, is certainly dynamic. You, you, that's an interesting point. You mentioned a quarterback to come with it. Obviously, Sean Clifford's been playing, you know, just in the one year in the Shiraka system and then in, in the Ronnie, you know, under, under Ricky Ronnie, who eventually went to Old Dominion. Um, but yeah, does this open yourself up to, to getting a new quarterback? Does this make you more attractive? And from, we're, we're talking with Chris Hummer here at 24 seven sports from a national perspective. Does this, does this signal to you that, Hey, um, you know, this is a, a new reputation for Penn State, a new offense, a new style. We saw Penn State a- ended the year just running their quarterbacks into the ground. And obviously that's not what Kirk Shiraka has done in the past. And, you know, this we, we expected an offseason where he would make his changes and get his guys and, and sort of uh, just sort of rebrand what they were trying to do. Now, all of a sudden. I mean, are you thinking like an air raid guy, a true spread guy where you're spreading stuff around and throwing the ball everywhere? So you're kind of throwing this up and, and trying to flip uh, flip Penn State's offensive reputation on its head. Yeah, and honestly, I I guess, sorry, I don't mean to circle off that point, but the interesting thing about Yersich is like he's been an offensive coordinator for a long time in the FBS level, dating back to his days at Oklahoma State. But like I would argue he's never really had full control of his offense. I'm sure... He would tell you differently about this year at Texas, but Tom Herman said he would step back. I don't really know how much that happened. Like Texas' offense got better under Mike Yersich, and there were certainly schematic changes that opened things up a little bit, moved away from the power spread that Tom Herman's run throughout his career. But it was, I don't know if it was fully his offense. And you could say the same thing about Ohio State. And I, I know for a fact that Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy has his fingerprints all over whatever kind of offense they're running at the time. It's at the end of the day, Mike Gundy's offense. So if James Franklin allows Mike Yersich to kind of take a step forward, this will be, in my opinion, the first time we've really seen him have the full reins of an offense. And I, I would not expect a full-on air raid, but it's certainly a multiple offense that will open things up in a way we haven't seen from Penn State, uh, at least in recent years. And uh, back to the quarterback point, I don't mean to ramble, but I actually do think Sean Clifford reminds me a lot of Sam Allinger. Um, Probably not quite as good, but a lot of the same qualities. And I think Mike Yersich, if it comes down to it, and I, you could probably tell me a little better, Penn State's really dipping into the portal at quarterback. But if it comes down to it, I think Mike Yersich can work with Sean Clifford and the receiving talent Penn State has on its roster, especially some of the younger freshmen and Dotson coming back. There are pieces there that you like. Who do you think benefits uh, the most from this move? I mean, just in terms of, I know you're, you're not familiar as familiar with the personnel here, but just that might be a good thing for this question. But uh, is it receivers, quarterbacks? I mean, who, who really would benefit based on his stops from, you know, his coaching style and his coaching approach? I think Sean Clifford's really going to benefit. Like Mike Yersich throughout his career has had excellent quarterback play. Go back to Oklahoma State. He was there for Mason Rudolph's kind of run. He was there. For early Spencer Sand. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm getting my mirrors mixed up. He was there for Mason Rudolph. Then he had Justin Fields. Then he had Sam Ellinger, who I would consider those are three of probably the best 30 college quarterbacks of the last half decade, decade or so. Like, and obviously he had help in all of those rooms. Ryan Day is there. Mike Gundy's there. Um, Tom Herman was the one who brought Sam Ellinger, uh, to Texas. And Tom's obviously an offensive guy, but he has made quarterbacks better at every stop. Um, 
Justin Fields took a pretty big leap as a sophomore in 2019 when Mike Yersich was leading a system. Mason Rudolph was playing the best football of his career under Mike Yersich. Sam Ellinger, who did have some downtimes this year after being hurt, at times looked the best he has in his career. So the quarterback position should get better. But if I'm a wide receiver, if I'm a Parker Washington, um, I am thrilled that this guy's coming in. Uh, receiving and kind of opening up the offense a little is going to happen with this system. And the production and kind of the volume for those receivers should be there. Penn State is now a more attractive place for receiver recruits. It's it, It's been a remarkable stretch. Is, is this where we're at with college football? I know this is probably not a, a popular subject for, for what these people are listening for, but like one year and out, um, you see this kind of popping up all over the place. I mean, from a national perspective, is this, is this like a win now type, uh, type move? I think, I think it depends on the situation. If James Franklin had finished this season, uh, Penn State played eight games, correct? Like I, I'm getting my years nine games. Confused. Yeah. Nine games. If Penn State had finished, if Penn State had finished seven and two or six and three, like, I don't know if James Franklin feels the pressure to make this move, but like, if you're like, I'm going to take LSU, for example, Bopolini was making two point five million dollars i believe to be lsu's defensive coordinator and when it doesn't work and you can tell it doesn't work like he's going to be out like there's just no time for even an ed orgeron coming off a national championship to rest on his laurels if he has another season like this ed orgeron's likely out at lsu there's you might build up some cachet but as soon as you have a terrible season it's thrown away so seeing these moves happen is not all that surprising but personally like given the kind of um, status and rapport James Strickland had built up over the years at Penn State. I was surprised to see him make this drastic move. Like, I don't, I don't know if the internal pressure was there, but he clearly felt something needed to change. And I guess if that's the case, it's more of a credit to James Franklin than a reflection on college football as a whole, at least I. 24-7 Sports National writer Chris Hummer, thank you very much for joining us to get your insights on new Penn State offensive coordinator Mike Yurcich. We're going to move along in the podcast now, but Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. And moving on from Chris Hummer, we stay in the 24-7 Sports Network, the eyes of Texas, going from Chris to Mike Roach. Uh, Mike covers uh, recruiting in Texas. He's been around uh, uh, Mike Yersich for about a year now, um, but he's also obviously watching the games, taking taking note of stuff. And interesting thing, he just mentioned to me off air that, uh, you know, he saw him at a coach's clinic last year. So he's got a little bit of a, a more of a background uh, than, you know, just a typical recruiting guy. So, Mike, we, we really appreciate you joining us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. So, Mike Yersich, I mean, what's your first thought uh, seeing this move? Obviously, a shock move to a lot of people, but what's your first thought after after watching him for the last year? I think it's a great, I think it's a great hire. Just about everything that came open this year, I thought that school should look at Mike Yersich. You know, when it when his offensive coordinator, you know, with Texas hiring Steve Sarkeesian, we knew that that he's kind of his own offensive coordinator and he probably was not going to retain Yersich. So, you know, whether it was seeing uh, LSU having an opening or uh, I think Michigan was probably looking for a, a new offensive coordinator, um, you know, I, I kept thinking, you know, Yersich would be perfect there, there, there. I did. Obviously, we didn't know Penn State was was in the market uh, at this point. But, um, you know, I, I think that schematically he's a guy that um, – I thought when you could see his fingerprints on the offense this year at Texas, he schemed really well on getting guys open and getting guys in space and allowing their playmakers to make plays. Um, I say that because there was a bit of back and forth. There were times when it was Tom Herman's offense and when it was Mike Yersich's offense, which I think ultimately led to the downfall of that staff. But 
um, you know, early on in the season before uh, I think Herman kind of commandeered things, they, they were running plays like like a like I'll just use this as an example. For most of my life, I've never seen at Texas effectively execute a screen to a receiver, and they were able to do it this year. I mean, they were just able to get guys and run it well. So I think a lot of that was uh, on Mike Yersich and. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that, uh, from, from what I know you mentioned, I, I did see him at a coaching clinic and, and he did a ton of whiteboard stuff and really blew the Texas high school football coaches away with, with his technical acumen, but he's a guy who likes to attack space. I mean, he wants to, to put your weakest defenders in space, put them in conflict and then, um, you know, try to, try to exploit those uh, matchups. He is a guy that, that likes to, to attack deep a lot. Um, and, and I think, you know, if given his own his own control over everything and where nobody's has oversight on him. He's a guy that's going to, to try to go for the big play and open things up a little more. So I don't, I don't have an intimate knowledge of what Penn state's offense was prior to that, but I, I would assume that's kind of a change. Yeah, definitely. It seems like Kirk Scirocco was going to come in, run the football, do the RPO, open some things up. Not as much RPO. They you know a little bit of zone run and stuff like that uh, will carry over from the old uh, the old regime, which was, of course, uh, barely a year old. Um, but yeah, you would think that uh, they moved to more of a passing attack here, spread it out, get going. That's been his his sort of his mo from since he was at Shippensburg, and then moving to Oklahoma State, taking over uh, Dana Dana Horgelson there, and and just kind of moving uh, people around, moving receivers around, and getting those guys open. It'll be interesting to see to me um, how the personnel works. Um, as we mentioned before, we've got a, about a 40-minute tack on to this talking about Jahan Dotson coming back who led the Big Ten in receiving yards. You've got Parker Washington who Mike is is pretty familiar with from his time um, covering him in Texas. And you know there's a lot to like in terms of spread style receivers. Um, how does how does much does this change the running game? I don't know. It's still up in the air. What the most interesting thing to me is, and I talked to Chris Hummer about this a little bit earlier, what type of quarterback do you think he's looking for? He's definitely more, and I think this is where things changed at Texas, is he is more of a pocket guy. He wants, a, a you know, I would say a bigger, I don't want to call them statues, but almost, yeah, like a statue type of guy uh, that with a big arm to get the ball off quickly. Uh, you know, before that, Texas was largely reliant on on dual threat guys, Sam Ellinger, uh, Casey Thompson, and uh, and guys like that. And so they did target more of your your traditional drop back passers, um, but I think he's kind of fluid. I mean, you know, obviously uh, he was a big reason Texas initially landed the commitment of Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers was, he grew up a Texas fan, um, and but yet he wasn't very, I guess, confident in the future under Tom Herman. Once Mike Yersich was hired, he did like what Mike Yersich brought to the offense enough that to go ahead and make that commitment. In fact, part of what I heard from his decommitment was that he was concerned that that Yersich didn't have control and that they weren't running the offense that he had kind of committed for. Um, so, I mean, when you look at Quinn, he is kind of your more typical guy, but he can also move around a little bit. I think it, it definitely depends because if you look at his history at Oklahoma State, he did you know, recruit guys like Spencer Sanders, who definitely are dual threat type of guys. But I think given his like, hey, what's your prototype quarterback, Mike? It is a a six foot three or four guy with a big arm who can make throws to all levels of the field. So you're saying Penn State now in position to flip Quinn Ewers, right? <laughs> they, I, You know, I, I don't know that Quinn's going anywhere. Obviously, Ohio State's building a monster, but it, hey, man, like I, I would take a shot. He did certainly love um, – 
love Yersic and in, in, in his offense and the possibilities there. And and building off of that, Jaquindon Jackson's a guy that we've discussed on the site just because every quarterback that goes into the portal, everybody's looking at and flipping over. And now he's going to go, I think, to Utah. Um, but you mentioned to me beforehand, not really the fit that you're looking for there. Right. So Jaquindon Jackson originally committed to Texas when Tim Beck was the offensive coordinator. Um, and, and that style was much more of like a, a power read type of uh, offense um, that Sam Ellinger really excelled in under Tim Beck. And what we looked at Jaquindon Jackson as was an athlete, like a more athletic version of Sam Ellinger. Um, and and that's kind of that was kind of his rep in the state of Texas. He was a uh, he played for one of the most powerful schools in, in Texas, Duncanville. Um, and was just a machine at the high school level. But I think he looked at Yurcich's offense after a year on campus and said, uh, this might be a fine offense, but it's not for me. And, and I don't think that this guy has plans for me in this offense. So um, I know he really wants to shot at playing quarterback, but I don't see him playing in that type of offense. Yeah, no arguments here. I mentioned Parker Washington a little bit earlier. How, how happy do you think he is? Uh, you know Parker pretty well. Um, how happy do you think he is going to a system like this? I love Parker. Um, I thought he was, man, I thought that kid was, and I'll say this. I like when I ran into, to your at that, at that, uh, at that coaching clinic, he specifically brought up guys like Parker Washington to why didn't these guys get recruited by Texas? Uh, you know, why are we looking at this lack of receiver talent and why are, you know, these guys leaving the state? And I never got it with Parker Washington. We would see him all the time. And he would dominate every setting he was in, and yet none of the in school, in state schools were were crazy about him. And um, I think that for a guy like him who thrives in like get me the ball in space and let me attack, that's going to to be huge because that's that's the type uh, you know that that Yersich is going to want to attack. And I think uh, shout out to one of my favorite recruits of all time, Noah Cade, um, one of my one of my close kids I'm closest to. I think he's really going to like it because I do think that he is going to involve the running backs a little more in the passing game. Um, and and I think that once they open things up, you know, with deep passes and, uh, and everything like that, there is going to be more running room for those guys. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. Uh, certainly the running game rarely takes a backseat at Penn State, but, uh, you know, you, the big plays come as they will. You mentioned a little bit about recruiting, the style of recruiting kind of fits in what Penn State has done with its coordinators uh, going back to, to Joe Moorhead, where the coordinate, the offensive coordinator handles the quarterback recruiting tries to handpick his own guys, and then it's just kind of a supplement to what the rest of the offense is doing. You bring that guy in the office, you you know, you know, check out uh, the film and all that kind of stuff, whether it's a receiver, running back, offensive lineman, what have you. Um, what do you does, it sounds like that's what, uh, whereabouts that fits uh, your sitch in with the Penn State staff. It sounds like kind of what they've been doing for a while. Yeah, you know, at Texas, he was primarily capable or he was primarily responsible for recruiting quarterbacks. Um, now he did chip in a little bit on offense and, uh, you know, he would pick out some receivers here and there and, and help with those types of things, but he was primarily a quarterback guy. And, um, I think, you know, if you're looking for maybe a couple of, of targets in the state of Texas outside of Quinn Ewers that I could see him offering Kate Klubnick at, at Austin Westlake high school, the same, same high school, Sam Ellinger went to Drew Brees went to Nick Foles went to um, is, is kind of the next guy in that line at 22 that I actually saw play last week. And he's a um, can move around a little bit, but a big pocket guy with a big arm. Uh, and then Connor Weigman, who's at, at uh, Cypress Bridgeland, who kind of took the state by storm this year, who's a, a baseball and football star, uh, a two-way guy. I think those are two guys I would watch out for to get uh, maybe a Penn State offer right off the bat. 
Yeah, it sounds like, uh, you know, that that's a guy, you know, every time that you have a change like this, it wants to bring in his own guys and go from there. Um, it's probably tough to say, but in terms of skill position, talent, how, how did he do this year in terms of supplementing that? Um, it is very tough to say because, you know, he got he got here basically and then COVID happened. So there were no on campus visits. Um, they you know, they put together, a, I would say that their their class is more balanced to talent on defense than it is to offense. Um, but, you know, I think that they did find some intriguing guys, including uh, Jaden Alexis out of Florida, who I think was a Penn State target. So, he was, yeah. Uh, uh, you and I talked about him familiar. a few times, yeah. Yeah, should sound familiar there. Uh, they found him. I think he's an intriguing guy. Um, I, You know, I... <sighs> The season was so – this year was so crazy because the season fell apart somewhat early. And in October, we were already talking about Tom Herman's job. And I think that that really handicapped the staff's ability to recruit. Um, so it's really hard to say, you know, how he did on, it on that front without really having a complete year to do it. No, that makes complete sense. Uh, a lot of what you said today uh, makes complete sense. That's why we have you on the 24-7 Sports Network. Mike Roach covers Texas for us. Uh, always fun to to hit up Mike. He's, he's great for information. Penn State doesn't dab it, uh, dabble in Texas a ton, but when they do, Mike's on top of it. So, Mike, thanks for joining us very much, uh, and we hope to have you on again sometime. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate it, man. So off the cuff, there you go. 20 minutes of Mike Yershich analysis from some of our 24-7 sports uh, best analysts. Uh, we appreciate those guys for coming on. Um, Tyler and I will be back next week to talk a little bit more about this, of course. My thoughts, uh, I'm, again, still completely shocked. Uh, it's a big boy move. Let's be honest here. Uh, Penn State not known for this sort of thing. Um, to go out and get a guy like uh, Yursich, who obviously comes with a hefty price tag after just one year of Kirk Shiraka. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I mean, it, it's surprising because of, of COVID and everything that's gone on in the last year that he wouldn't get an offseason. I, I stand by that we never actually saw his offense at Penn State, but the obviously James Franklin uh, had seen enough and decided that he wanted to go in a different direction. That's obviously his prerogative uh, running, <laughs> running his own program. So uh, excited to see what this brings to the table. I've heard great things about Yursich going back to his time at Shippensburg for a long, long time. Um, as our guys that were just on the, uh, on the calls alluded to, I'm excited to see what kind of offense he can run. If he actually has the ability to call his own offense, which it seems like he didn't really get that fair shake at, uh, at Texas and then partly at Ohio State as well. So very curious to see how that turns out. I like Penn State's, as, uh, as you'll see later in the episode. I like Penn State, what it brings back from a skill position uh, aspect. And man, I just, uh, I'm very surprised to see it happen, but I'm excited to see a, a different brand of football, a different uh, style that, you know, maybe we're not used to seeing around here. So I guess I'll leave it at that. And to build on that, we're going to now parlay into the next uh, part of this episode where we talk about Jahan Dotson coming back, which is a huge, huge thing. And forgive us for putting two intros in one uh, in, in one episode. But at the end of the day, this is pretty much two episodes in one. So thank you for the joining us for the first half of this episode. I hope you stick around for the, the rest. I, th- I thought it was a pretty good uh, cut and dry episode, a little shorter than we're used to. And now, of course, we've we've gone over over an hour with, uh, with this. So uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Lions 24-7 Sports Podcast. Excuse me, the Lions 24-7 podcast. Uh, for Tyler Donahue, I'm Sean Fitz, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the previously scheduled episode. 
Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast, the second episode of this week. I'm Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz, and the transfer portal remains a major topic of discussion here in Happy Valley across college football, but we begin this conversation today with Jahan Dotson, the junior wide receiver, and he's a junior once again in 2021, is back in Happy Valley, sticking around. We were waiting on this decision. I know many of you were anxiously trying to figure out whether Jahan Dotson was going to head off to the 2021 NFL draft or stick around as the top target in Penn State's passing attack. And based on the way he finished this season, Sean, it was very fair to wonder if we had seen his finale against Illinois and and what a conclusion to his career all this would have been. 428 all-purpose yards in the final two games of this Penn State season. He scored in every single game in Beaver Stadium, including those last two. Did it as a punt returner, led the Big Ten in receiving yards. Nice to know you've got that guy on your side heading into 2021. Well, if you're a Penn State fan, you were probably prepping for the worst because these decisions don't always go uh, Penn State's way. And that's uh, something that's you know been a, a, a just a chain of events over the last couple of seasons. And now all of a sudden you get you get a big one back. I, I don't know if I can understate how big getting Jahan Dotson back is. Um, you, you had him for this year and he was fantastic, especially down the stretch. Uh, really your best offensive player. And I mean, it's it, it can't be understated how important that is is not just for uh, his development. And I think it's a, it's a probably a good decision in terms of wide receivers pretty deep once again. And it's very hard to come out as a wide receiver um, as a guy. You know, John Dotson's a very, very good player. But when you put him up against some of the top freak athletes across the country, you can see why he fall da- falls down the board a little bit. So you probably prepared yourself mentally for Jahan Dotson not coming back. Over the last couple of weeks, it kind of swung back in the other direction. Uh, by the time he made his decision on Thursday, it was, you know, it was kind of the expected decision and it would have been a surprise to go otherwise. But at the same time, you can't understand how, uh, understate how big this is. Uh, you know, no matter what happens at quarterback, you've got, you're bringing back a receiver group that's got some experience. And now it's got a solidified number one and, and all of a sudden just looks so much better than, than it would have projected without him. Last time we saw Jahan Dotson operating in a Penn State uniform, he became the first player in program history to have two receptions of 70 or more yards in a game, a couple long distance touchdowns uh, against Illinois in that week nine matchup at Beaver Stadium has at least one catch in 29 consecutive games. We talked about this when he was a, a third team all Big Ten pick led the Big Ten in receiving yards, was tied for the Big Ten lead with eight touchdown receptions, and also third in the league with 52 catches on the year. Of course, things skewed a bit in terms of the schedule, but you cannot argue with the production that Jahan Dotson went out and produced this year within an offense. That, you know, that That's the thing here, Sean. It wasn't like he got rolling once Penn State got rolling. Three touchdowns against Ohio State, and and there's not really much else positive I can remember now that we're a couple months removed from that, aside from those three touchdowns in that matchup. Uh, It was an ugly start in a lot of ways for Penn State. Indiana game, it's remembered for other reasons right now, but Jahan Dotson put them in front late in that contest with a long touchdown from Sean Clifford. And whether the offense was revving or the offense was sputtering, and and oftentimes it, it, it was the latter, Jahan Dotson was getting the job done, and and you pair that with Parker Washington's ascension over the course of the season, a kid who put himself in contention to be the 2020 uh, Big Ten Freshman of the Year. You add that to the fact that for the first time in, in his career, Jahan Dotson is going to have the same receivers coach at Penn State in consecutive seasons, and you've got Kirk Shiraka now working with these guys over the course of an offseason. 
it just it's a nice recipe, Sean. Uh, and we'll find out what they do at quarterback and, and, and Clifford seemingly back and Levis seemingly back. And we don't know what the portal might produce and what these younger quarterbacks might do to try to make a move. Regardless of the quarterback situation, all those other things I listed, that check off a lot of boxes for improvement for Penn State. What a stat or factoid or whatever you want to call it. The first time he'll have the same wide receiver coach in consecutive years. Uh, it's depressing, but at the same time, given how Taylor Stubblefield has handled the last year, um, you know, you got to like those, those odds of him getting, getting better. And that's, uh, certainly something that comes up, um, when you talk to, to people in the program is that, yeah, there, I think there still is room for improvement here. You know, it can add five pounds and, 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 you know, continue to get that speed down. He's running the four fours for them, which is really, um, surprising given, you know, when he came in, he was a guy that was running, you know, in the four, the high four fives and low four sixes. So this is really a big step physically for him to get up and, and and get on that draft board and you know you take your chance because wide receiver as we mentioned seems to be loaded every year it's where the athletes are it's not not really a surprise there but at the same time you can just move yourself up and you know he can move into the second round or something and and, and really be a productive guy in the next year we talked about um you know what uh, Minnesota was able to do by you know, not force feeding, but feeding those guys and getting those numbers up. He had 52 catches in nine games. That's an entire season of production in just, you know, uh, you know, two thirds of a season, three quarters of a season. I'm not a math guy. You know that. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been really cool. It's been really interesting to watch this ascension of the receiver position because we, we focus so much on the youth. He'll be a junior next year. I wouldn't expect him back in 2022, obviously, but you know, everybody focuses on Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert, we talked a little bit about Malik Mega last year, but having a veteran presence like that, it's very interesting to me. Kind of reminds me of, of the, the 180 that the tight end room did a couple of years ago where you had major, major questions. I think going into 2018, Pat Fryermuth all of a sudden comes in. Nick Bowers does some good things as a veteran. And all of a sudden, you start stockpiling this young talent. Um, we saw it this year with Brenton Strange. We saw Theo, you know, flashes of Theo Johnson that make him look like a, a freaking superstar, a future superstar. Um, but it, it's kind of that way. Now you've got more steps to take. You obviously play more receivers. You're asking more um, from some of those younger guys to step up. But at the same time, the future all of a sudden looks a heck of a lot brighter. And to bridge that gap with another year of Jahan Dotson, that, that, there's a lot of potential there. And I think that comparison is a good one, and I guess we'll, we'll see if it rings true in 2023 because now we have uh, three years of of seeing where that tight end room has gone and what has developed behind Pat Fryermuth and kind of the the standard that has been set in that room with with the young talent and and replacing Pat now. But yeah, I mean, wide receiver, it's 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 just such a different spot than it was this time a year ago, or even uh, when we were discussing it in mid September, early October, because Jahan Dotson. You know, we said it all offseason, expected to be the number one guy, but but here's the deal. He's coming off a season in which he caught 28 passes, so let's go see him do it. He did it. He exceeded expectations in a lot of ways. I think he's become, you referenced the, the testing numbers. You can just see it on the football field in front of your eyes going up against Big Ten defenders. He's become a different guy physically than he was coming out of high school, and he was extremely productive in high school, obviously good enough to get a Penn State offer early in the process and you know we we remember that signing day for 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 some of the drama certainly all the drama around Micah Parsons and uh, the Jason Oway decision and what was going to happen there but you know it was kind of a stealth move Jahan Dotson flipping from UCLA I know people took notice of it but in retrospect probably needed more attention because he was one of those three wide receivers in that class and has proven very easily to to be the most productive college talent 
out of that group. And uh, Sean, when you look at uh, at last year's NFL draft, I took took a peek at, at where KJ Hamler landed, number forty six overall. He was the ninth wide receiver off the board. Twenty percent of the top fifty in last year's draft. Uh, was wide receivers. Behind him was Chase Claypool, who had a fantastic rookie year with the Steelers at number 49. You had, t- you had t- uh, 10 guys go in the top 49 at that position at wide receiver, and you said it. That's where the athletes are going. You talk to high school coaches. You talk to, to, to these uh, uh, guys who will go and evaluate these camps when, when the camps are going on. Um, that's where the, the it, it's no secret. That's 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 where the momentum is going. The, the big-time athletes are moving toward receivers. You're seeing the NFL. These guys are coming in as rookies, making a big impact, unlike we've ever seen year in, year out, it now seems. Um, and, and they're getting paid accordingly. It's, it's, it's become that. I mean, it always has been an important position, but it has become such an increasingly prioritized position. And that's because you're seeing a, so many high-level prospects end up in that spot. So, yeah, Jahan Dotson, um, look, the word is out on him. If NFL scouts weren't paying close attention um, going into Halloween of 2020, uh, they sure as hell will be uh, moving forward here into 2021 as they as they put together the 2022 boards. Of course, you're always going to worry about the possibility of any kind of medical setback. That's just the reality. It's the risk you take. It's the roll of the dice you make when you decide not to go to the draft. But for Jahan Dotson, Going back to something you said and kind of being a leader in this room, man, it was it was impressive. As much as we saw the growth take form on the field this year, on these Zoom calls, and it's harder to get a feel sometimes for these guys when we're doing it virtually from our homes and and they're in their uh, you know dorm rooms or their apartments than it is when we're sitting in front of them face to face. But it was so easy to pick up those vibes from Jahan Dotson, particularly after some of these very difficult losses in 2020, Sean. We talked about it pretty in depth after that Maryland game, some of the very pointed comments he made about the mindset of the locker room, what it was going to take to turn things around. He did not hold back, and this is a player known for being quiet, reserved, still is a reserved guy, but he is now kind of He's telling you the truth. He's speaking the truth, and I th- I would not be surprised at all if if despite kind of uh, his nature that that never screamed captain, never screamed future captain, the way he sets an example, the way he grew in that role this year, I'm expecting him to be one of those team captains when when they roll out that list eventually in 2021. And this is just a, a huge boost for a, a wide receiver room that has some other guys who have been around the the campus for a bit. But you're talking about a group that, including Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert-Smith, who played a lot of football, they're still freshmen because of the NCAA rules. I, I believe the number, Sean, is is seven true freshmen, technically, of eligibility going into 2021. So to have a ringleader like Jahan Dotson in a room like that, helping Taylor Stubblefield, I think is something that should not be overlooked regarding this decision. And that number is obviously a misnomer. You got a lot of experience in Washington and Lambert Smith, but yeah, you're right. I mean, just getting him back in that role, you mentioned it. He doesn't talk much. He didn't, he's never talked much. But when he did this year, people must have sat up and listened because they turned it around and it took a little bit of time. But I mean, he was pointed in those comments about, you know, guys focusing on off field, you know, just not really uh, buying into what everything was going on. And, you know, things seem to turn not on a dime, but you know, quickly enough, especially when they were, and, I think, 0-4 at the time. Um, so it was it was really interesting to see that 
um, you know, that genuine shine, uh, sign of respect from the other guys around him where, you know, when he talked, everybody kind of shut up and went with it. And I agree with you. He's, he's a captain. He's, he's a guy that can really help. And, and he's a guy that kind of reminds me, um, you know, he's got bigger and more big playability than Taylor Stubblefield had, but Taylor Stubblefield as a player, you always look at, um, you know, what he brought to the table, smooth route running, just a, an element of smoothness throughout his game. And that's really what you look at when you look at Jahan Dotson. You don't see a 4-4 guy, even though he has running the 4-4s for them. You don't see the the guy that's going to beat you downfield or the guy that's going to do that. But you flip on some of the highlights. I watched, um, you know, obviously a lot of our, um, according to my uh, mentions, a lot of people saw the Sean Wade comment uh, about going about he- going against Heisman winner Demonte Smith nicely done from Alabama. By, yeah. Very nicely done. I mean, it, it, look, look, Sean Wade, I, I think Sean Wade is a good player. I don't think Sean Wade was the the defensive back of the year in the Big Ten or first team All American type player because he when he up, when he went up against some some players like Jahan Dotson. I watched those highlights yesterday just to double check to make sure that Dotson was against him and Dotson was against him and Dotson had his way with him and and that's kind of how that that whole uh, charade went. But it it, it was really really eye opening to see the plays that he made, you know, in a, on a big time stage. Penn State obviously across the board outclassed against Ohio State. But he was that guy that stepped up. We have a a uh, you know a mailbag question about game breakers and and, and game changers later on. Um, and Jahan Dotson was absolutely that. Now, obviously, he needs a little help. He needs somebody to get him to the ball. And, and on top of that, just building off of that, he had fifty two catches with uh, you know a passing game that was not consistent whatsoever. Um, so I, I think you get an off season in, you work with some of these guys, and and work with Kirk Shiraka and make some things happen, all of a sudden, you know, you're talking about a potential 80 catch season or something like that. It's And it's certainly uh, within reach. Circling back to Sean Wade, does Alabama have any solid wide receivers that you should be concerned about? Nah, John Mechie, maybe the old Canadian. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just know Jahan Dotson was your point. I got you. Uh, if we could just take a quick look at this wide receiver group, we'll talk plenty about Penn State personnel and then what we're expecting from 2021 in the several months ahead. But kind of just a, a photo shot of what we've got at the moment at wide receiver for Penn State beyond Jahan Dotson. And this allows Parker Washington to develop as that number two. Maybe it's a 1A, 1B conversation by the end of this year. I mean, this is a guy who was producing big time numbers down the final stretch and pretty consistently as well. Um, but beyond those two, uh, you know, Keandre Lambert Smith going to be looking to make that leap in year two. He's a guy who, if you follow him on social media, He's setting high expectations for himself, and he anticipates he's going to have that big second year. You know, Taylor Stubblefield uh, saw enough to, to to put this kid in the starting lineup, and and you know that I think that says some other things about the guys that were ahead of him on campus, but also just about the, the talent that Keandre Lambert Smith has. Overshadowed, of course, by Parker Washington's emergence in that freshman class, but a guy that looking to lock in himself as that third wide receiver in the starting lineup. Sean, you got a couple of veterans with questions around them, and, and I'm putting Norvell Black in that conversation only because he's he's a veteran at the college football level, a couple of years at Lackawanna, this essentially a redshirt year at, at Penn State to start things off, but he's in his fourth year out of high school at this stage. TJ Jones is in his third year out of high school. He'll be a redshirt freshman again, but Daniel George, Cam Sullivan Brown, George was in that 2018 class with Jahan Dotson, Cam Sullivan Brown's the old guy in the room. He came in with that 2017 group. Uh, that featured KJ Hamler. Um, those are the older guys. Let's start there. D- do you think that kind of group has the firepower potential ability 
to hold off what we think is a really impressive swell of young talent that's that's going to be on campus this year? Uh, you know, I think there's talent in there. I don't know that those guys have a role right now in terms of what you should expect from them. I mean, that's a lot of bodies in there with the, that really haven't played a ton of football. I know Cam Sullivan-Brown, unfortunately, has been sort of marred by injuries the last couple of years. Uh, Daniel George struggles catching the ball. That's obviously an issue for a wide receiver. And you wonder if one of those two guys or maybe both those two guys have some positional flex flexibility and see, you know, maybe give it a go in spring and see what can happen there. Uh, TJ Jones, you know, we we saw him hit the field this year, but really no impact there. And Norval Black, um, when he arrived on campus, really, really needed that weight program. So a little bit early to write him off, but certainly um, you know, that's a that's a tough spot to come into. And we mentioned we we keep mentioning these guys, um, you know, who 2020 just uh, was was really, really unfair to it from a development standpoint. I think Norval Black's certainly one of those guys. Athleticism's there. Size is not there. This was not never a secret. I mean, he was 170-some pounds when he got here. Um, so that's going to have to to take a, a jump there. So you've got some guys be- behind him that maybe could come in. And I think that it'll, it'll be interesting to watch the development of this offense, you know, when they actually do put an offense in um, that, that where you've got sets where you you saw what you got from Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson in 12 personnel this year and you really like the, the the opportunity to play one of those guys in the slot you move Dotson and Washington around and move one of those guys inside out I think Washington has the talent to play on the outside and then you've got Lambert Smith I, I don't know where the snaps are going to come from from this group um, but I, I mean I, I don't want to write anybody off at this point because you know there is physical development to be had for some of these guys um, you, know, you, you know of course the portal is always an option um, you know, at this at this position, when you've got this many scholarship guys, so I, I think it's a big we'll see. I mean, I I, I don't really you know want to uh, trample on anybody, but when you've got guys that are established in Dotson or Washington, it looks like you've got a guy that's going to be established in Keandre Lambert Smith. You've got risers behind him. A guy like Malik Mega can come in there, and then you take into account the the tight ends and and you want to get those guys in the field as well. Um, then you know it, things get kind of crowded in there. Collectively, when you look through the 2017 through the 2019 recruiting classes, only four guys remaining on the active roster from those groups, TJ Jones, Daniel George, Cam Sullivan Brown, and Jahan Dotson. The rest of this room is composed of 2020 and 2021 signees when we look ahead. And here in January 2021, again, a long way to go. We hope that these guys get a chance to go out and play a full kind of spring practice schedule and kind of determine where things stand. And and and, and Taylor Stubblefield, I'm sure, would love to, to be able to coach these guys up in the spring on like he was able to in 2020. Uh, but you mentioned Malik Mega. Certainly when you compare the, the two guys that would have been red shirts under normal circumstances, Mega and Jaden Dotton, the two true freshmen who we did not see in 2020, mega developing more buzz at this stage of his career. And then you've got that, uh, you know, that group that's going to be pushing them next when they get to campus, the three, four star prospects that we covered pretty extensively in December, Liam Clifford, uh, Harrison Wallace, and of course, Lonnie White, who's going to have a decision to make with the MLB draft eventually. But again, the the recruiting has been strong. The on-field product has been strong and tying it back. The fact that Jahan Dotson is still on campus does not facilitate any kind of unnecessary pace to be set 
for some of these younger players. And, and I don't see them going into the portal to, to find somebody, but if you can find a guy that can really, you know, this, this is a good, talented group. It's not the fastest group in the world, you know? So I, I think if you can find somebody that, you know, you can find a 4-3 guy in the portal, I mean, it's, maybe it's worth taking a look at. A highly productive guy that's been been around for a while. I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily see this as a need, but then you look at some other positions where they've taken some guy. You look at corner uh, where they took Johnny Dixon. It's not necessarily a need, but if you can find a guy like that, it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, you know, going back to what you said about Mega and Dot, I mean, Dot and I think still has another year and a half where he needs to develop uh, physically. I mean, you looked at him. He got in the game, I think, uh, against Illinois there at the end. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's pretty skinny. Uh, no, no way around that one. So he's going to need some time on campus. Uh, did some nice things in practice this year, but, you know, he's going to need some time on campus. Mega, as we said last time, hearing some good things. But, you know, I think it's it's a little early to, 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 to press down on the gas for that one because, you know, just his background is so raw and he's kind of exactly what you would – you would hoped he had been, and you 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 hoped he had been that, but you also need to see some more development moving forward here. And then you know Clifford Wallace and, and Lonnie White. Hopefully, Lonnie White makes it to campus. Now, all of a sudden, there's an air of competition in there. You've got multiple tiers as we've kind of laid out here, and you know I think it's uh, it's certainly positive moving forward for a position that we were you know frankly scared to talk about last uh, last summer and i'll say it again this is the first time since 2017 where penn state moves forward with the same wide receiver coach it had in the previous season that is very important as well that's amazing yeah man. <laughs> yeah that that is pretty startling um we are we just covered a lot on jahan donson the impact because it deserved that kind of coverage uh, when we come back we're going to shift the focus to an outgoing penn state veteran uh, some more news news out of the portal that impacts the penn state trenches and we'll get to our five-star mailbag as well which focuses on the nittany lions defense stay with us right here on the lions 24 7 podcast the conversation rolls on here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue with you. And uh, we just spent a lot of time talking about Jahan Dotson sticking around. We are expecting a key decision elsewhere on the Penn State roster. Uh, perhaps as soon as this Friday, perhaps as soon as you hear this podcast, before you hear this podcast from Jaquan Brisker, starting safety for the Nittany Lions. He has accepted an invitation to the Senior Bowl. We've discussed kind of his stock rising down the final stretch of his senior season, but that bonus senior season is on the table for him at Penn State. Maybe a lot to gain, maybe a lot to leap up on the 2020 NFL draft board with a strong year from him. When he makes a decision, and only when he makes a decision, we will react accordingly content-wise, and of course here on the podcast discussion. So if something breaks, we will address it, um, and and we will get to that extensively with our first episode of next week. Just wanted to put that out there. But Sean, um, we, we'll probably circle back to Brisker a little bit later with our with our mailbag question, uh, but let's turn our attention to C.J. Thorpe because the redshirt junior is moving on, uh, put out there on, on social media Thursday that he is going to enter the transfer portal. He's a guy who has played 30-plus games in his Penn State career, some at defensive tackle, most at offensive guard. Remember, he came in as a pretty ballyhooed prospect uh, in terms of Offensive linemen who have signed with Penn State under the direction of James Franklin. He ranks fourth behind Landon Tengwall, Rashid Walker, uh, and, and also, um, here he is, Michael Mennett. I knew the name was going to come to me. Uh, so pretty good company there and a guy, you know, top 100-ish prospect coming to campus, top offensive prospect in that 2017 class. But in 2018, we actually saw him middle of the season end up over at defensive tackle, starting off against Ohio State in a top 10 showdown 
ended up staying there throughout into the Citrus Bowl. That following offseason, he's back with the offensive linemen. We saw him start eight games over the last two years, but was never able to fully control that position and, and become that locked-in starter. Five games started in, 2019, uh, in 2019, three of them at the start of 2020. Ended up being replaced by Will Fries, who slid in from right tackle. Caden Wallace comes off the sidelines as a true as a redshirt freshman to take over at right tackle. Um, CJ Thorpe, a couple things here, Sean. Not only is he leaving a guy who's with your program for four years, as I said, uh, a pretty rich history uh, for him as a recruit, and people should really know this name going back quite a ways. But he's also entering the transfer portal as a defensive lineman. He notes. That's the interesting part to me. Uh, first off, with CJ's career, um, you know, obviously thought th- thought he would be better. Um, you know, I thought it, we heard some good things. We saw some good things on tape. Um, it, it's that's the most interesting thing to me is he wants to play defense. Um, of course, spent a little bit of time there at Penn State. Um, I think it fits what he wants to do and how he plays the game. Really, um, obviously, a, a, a you know a rough and and physical guy. Um, obviously. He's gone too far at times, and that's, you know, part of playing the position. I think that might work out better for him on a, you know, at a spot where you don't have to play every play. And that's, you know, if he can get, you know, half of a game of snaps at defensive tackle and put his, uh, you know, his, I guess, uh, <laughs> how do I, how do I word this? You put his, uh, his way of playing into uh, into action there, um, you know that that could work out well for him, and I think it, I think he can be an effective defensive tackle. Um, I, I think just that you know, that's really didn't happen for him on the offensive line here at Penn State, and that's uh, that's tough to see because I think I think a lot of CJ in terms of his talent, I think he could he could have been a pro on the offensive line. I think he's probably has pro talent on on the offensive side of the ball, but didn't have that consistency. And then when you don't have that consistency and it shows up in the ways that it did with him with penalties and such, um, that's that's really tough to swallow. So I, I think he's a tremendously talented kid. I think he can, you know, make an impact as a defensive lineman. He's got two years left to do so. Um, so that's possible. So we'll see where it goes with CJ. I've got, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been fun to cover him in a sense that, you know, he's always got something thought provocative to say. Um, and he's always been, you know, a guy that you can, you can talk turn to for an opinion, uh, certainly. Um, so we'll see what happens with him down the road. It'll be interesting to see if somebody scoops him up, maybe somebody uh, like a Michigan who needs help on the interior defensive line, or does he go completely off the board? I know he visited uh, UCLA when he was a recruit, and maybe that's something that, you know, a different scene that he would like to get into. Uh, I just think it's a very interesting transfer, not a, not a complete surprise. We've been talking about it the last couple of weeks um, as a potential uh, move, but at the same time, uh, it's tough to lose a guy that, that that's played a lot of football, especially when you look to the 2021 offensive line and you think you have answers there, but you get a little bit thinner there, you get a little bit less experience. And that's obviously not the direction that, that everybody wants to go. He was replaced midseason. Uh, we still saw him with the team, but we did not see him on the field for the last three games of this year. He was absent uh, starting at Rutgers and then through the Michigan State and, and Illinois matchups. And Franklin had told us along the way that that was uh, related to a medical issue, his absence. And that was something that was kind of outside of their control. I'm not sure if that one has anything to do with the other, but uh, it's been a while since we saw CJ and, and now he's going to be heading elsewhere. Uh, Sean, I think you were the guy uh, for people who did not follow recruiting and, and if if you followed recruiting, you knew C.J. Thorpe, but if you didn't, 
You may have heard of him when you posted that video uh, 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 from the pit game where he was just bulldozing a pit defender down the field in 2018. And, you know, there was a lot to like about this kid. And I think at different points of his time on campus, we both kind of projected him to be a, a bit of a breakout guy. I know Mark Brennan did this year. Um, just never came to fruition for him. Um, and, and so we'll see what happens next. And uh, very interesting that it's going to be on the defensive side of the football. And he will be a grad transfer. So el- eligible to play right away. He says he's leaving after. After the spring, and he did mention his style of play suiting him well on the defensive side of the football. Let's focus on the offensive side of the football because with CJ Thorpe out of the equation, Will Fries now out of the equation, right guard's an interesting spot to watch here, Sean. And and I, I just I can't really get too far down this conversation without circling back to what we saw from Juice Scruggs when he got on the field with consistency. Uh, during the final month or so of the 2020 year. To me, he's the guy that I can't wait to see more of in that role. Uh, yeah, we've been talking up Juice Scruggs for a while, and he's, you know, he put that kind of stuff on tape that he is an offensive line guy you, you really like to see. Uh, I, I think it gets interesting there because you don't have as much depth or experience depth as, as you thought. I think Mike Miranda slides into center, gives uh, Des Holmes a chance to play at left guard, and then you've got Scruggs there at right guard, and Caden Wallace probably staying out there at right tackle. Um, so you, you think you know the names. Uh, like you said, not as, not as deep as you would like. Landon Tangwall's coming in. He's, I think he'll start his career at tackle, but, you know, he's potentially going to be a guard there. And, you know, you've got some young guys. Anthony Wigan is not a young guy, but, you know, played a little bit at the end of the year. So slide him in there for depth and, and see what you can get out of him. So, um, you got numbers. Uh, we'll see if they can get anything this early from that 2021 class. I'm not really confident that they'll have an, uh, an impact on the field in, in, excuse me, the 2020 class. I'm not sure that they're going to have an impact on the field in 2021. Um, but you've got numbers there. You hopefully can get an off season program where, you know, you, you get these guys in the weight room and you see what they come out in the spring and are able to do. But yeah, I think the, the spotlight here is on Juice Struggs and uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. Scruggs, of course, another player uh, out of a Western PA powerhouse who came in with a lot of fanfare in his own right as a recruit, considered the top prospect on either side of the offense or defensive line uh, coming out of high school in that 2018 class and, and now healthy and getting the job done from what we saw. Um, you mentioned Wigan, by the way. It's his fifth year of college football, so it seems to be a very important juncture in his career if he's going to make it happen uh, here in 2021. Of course, he can have a sixth year. Yeah, that, that's the way it's set up for his career potentially, uh, but year five now for him out of high school, a guy who was considered a four-star junior college prospect out of Lackawanna and, and has been involved as an interior lineman. Um, elsewhere in the trenches for Penn State, we now know the destinations for a couple of defensive tackles who declared their intentions to transfer back in late December. Antonio Shelton, the Ohio native, is going to be a Florida Gator. And then Judge Culpepper, the Florida native, is going to Toledo. Sean, what say you? Uh, it makes sense. Uh, Shelton, Florida was one of the three schools that we had heard, uh, along with Michigan and Florida State. Um, wants to be a Florida guy. So I think he's looking for those gold teeth as he tweeted out the other day. Uh, but no, good luck to him. I mean, uh, Florida, I talked to, uh, Blake Alderman from our Florida site this week. They need somebody in there. They've got, uh, you know, some talent there, but a lot of it's young, uh, you know, with this whole eligible, excuse me, eligibility thing. A lot of those guys are still freshmen or, and going to be freshmen again next year. So they need a, a veteran presence in there. I think that's what Shelton can bring to the table there. Um, don't know that he's going to move any mountains or anything for the Gators, but at the same time, you know, we see how much experience matters. And we've, we talked about that a lot uh, with Jahan Dotson to start. Judge Culpepper, his old high school coach is now at Toledo. So that's not a huge surprise. Um, so uh, we'll see if his brother decides to, to go from Syracuse to, to Toledo as well. But that's, uh, you know, it's a topic for another 
day. But um, yeah, uh, Culpepper going to the Mac. I'm not completely surprised there. Probably had to drop down a little bit to uh, to get where he needed to go. And I think he can be effective there. I think that's a, a good spot for him. Um, and he knows people there. So, you know, it's uh, all the power to him. That certainly um, was didn't look like he was going to break through here at Penn State. And, and now he's got another chance in the Mac. Tony O'Shelton mentioned this when, when he declared for the transfer portal. Going to be 24 years old before the next season kicks off. And if he's looking to, to make that case for an NFL career, go do it in the SEC with the Florida Gators. It's a good opportunity if you can get it done down there. It was playing some of his most, probably the most effective football uh, that we had seen from Antonio Shelton in his Penn State career uh, here in 2020 or in 2020. And uh, now he'll head down to the Gators. Um, so there's kind of where things are with the transfer portal right now. Uh, always subject to change immediately. Speaking of defensive tackle, if you missed our first episode of the season, Derek Tangelo joined Sean Fitz for a conversation about his impending transfer in from the Duke Blue Devils program. Really good stuff. Uh, we, thanks again to Derek for his time. I just would encourage our listeners, if you missed that one, we were back with the two episodes set up this week. So first one featured Derek Tangelo who is uh, going to be part of the process and Culpepper and Shelton going one way he's coming in uh, the five-star mailbag always supplies some conversation and we're going to finish off with some defensive talk here uh, here is the question for us today Sean we've heard it said a few times that Penn State's defense was missing a true game wrecker in 2020 which guys have the best chance of becoming that kind of impact player in 2020 2021 I love this question and yeah Micah Parsons was that there was no Micah Parsons 2.0 to be seen on the field and that was to be expected well they need more game wreckers in every facet I mean that's one thing that when you look at Ohio State when you look at Penn State very very clear difference in terms of that the uh, that demographic I guess I would call it so uh, they, they need them at every level I'm not sure they have them at every level just yet and that's certainly going to be something when they ta- take on the top guys or the top teams on their schedule it's something that's going to show up uh, you know a guy that we mentioned a little bit earlier Jaquan Brisker if he comes back I think he can be that guy yeah, I thought he closed out the season very well um, you know gets his hand on a few more balls and and gets you know really just in the swing of things a little bit quicker um, certainly started a little bit slower this year it's funny you think about um, that play against Indiana, where he gets to the the pylon, quote unquote, at the same time as as Michael Penix. Uh, That play happens at the end of the year. Penix is probably out at the half yard line or the one. So, uh, you know, I think things have come along for him well. And I think if he does get back or does he is able to come back, I think he can be that guy. Um, I'll, I'll toss it off to you. I think I know where you're going to go with this because I think there's <laughs> yeah. a, a slight position change in, in effect here. But at the same time, uh, you know, this is a guy that we've waited on for a couple of years now. So you're saying I can't go Jason away you can't, anymore. He's off the table. He's off the table. I'm <laughs> sorry about that. You got to find a new man crush. I know you can do it. I know you have it in you. I, I got one. Brandon Smith. Yeah. There you I, go. I'm going to go Brandon Smith. There it is. I mean, I, it, it was no secret down down the you know the, the final half of the year, let's say, uh, that Brandon Smith was starting to look like a different defender for Penn State football. The way he was reacting to plays, the way he was finishing plays. Now, there's no doubt about it. As a true freshman and even through early stages of the 2020 season, there were those flash moments where you're like, this is a five-star kid. This kid can hit. Uh, oohs and ahs from the sidelines, from the fans watching the game, no doubt about it. But you want to see it consistently stretched out over the course of four quarters and a guy you can count on. And I think Brent Pry hearing kind of the tone in his voice talking about Brandon Smith's development, needing to leave him on the field for more snaps. I mean, we saw Brandon Smith coming off the field, uh, third down situation, then you're wondering, 
man, how could this defense be better with Brandon Smith off the field? I think we're going to see him stick around quite a bit in 2021. And, you know, is, is he ready to roll over and, and, and play that will position? Is that something that, that he's going to maybe do here in 2021? And, and, and I think at the end of the day, Brandon Smith's the kind of guy who can go out there, put together the season that validates what we talked about him as a prospect and the number one overall linebacker for 24-7 sports uh, coming out of Virginia in the 2019 class. And then he could be off to the NFL as a big-time prospect that way. It could happen that quickly. doesn't require two years of that kind of play. He's the kind of talent, and, and I think he's starting to, to grow into himself from a personality standpoint and, and, and from a young adult standpoint. And that was part of the process I was curious to see about Brandon Smith coming to Penn State, starting to see that materialize. He's a guy that 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 pretty routinely was available to us in the media late in the season different vibes coming off of Brandon Smith. And I think that has to do with the confidence level that he has built on the field. And when this kid doesn't have to be thinking about what he's going to do next, and he's just going out and doing it kind of like what we talked about Micah Parsons from freshman year to sophomore year. It's very, very easy to tell that that is happening when you watch the game. Well, you just want to get him on the field for every play. I mean, <laughs> you take a look at when they took him off the field and, you know, obviously, you know, they put him in a ton of space this year and, and maybe that's something that benefits him, you know, come if he does, you know, does move the wheel like we expect him to do next year. Uh, just get him on the field and, and, and let him, let him go. And I think that's, that'll certainly open things up maybe for a Curtis Jacobs, maybe for a Lance Dixon to take that next step at the Sam. Um, so I just think, I think it's the right move all around. Um, especially with the issues that they had in the box this year playing linebacker. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see Smith take off. Be really interesting to see what kind of development they have on the defensive line because obviously you'd like to add um, some game wreckers there. And, and whether that's from the guys that are coming in, like an uh, Ebikete, the, the transfer from Temple, he can get to the quarterback. Or if P.J. Mustafer can take that next step and be that guy and maybe play. How about Adisa Isaac? I mean, Adisa Isaac's the guy you think about the athletic arsenal to be that kind of player. Year three in the program. He's also a name that kind of surfaced. I, I, I still want to see a lot more out of him but he's an interesting guy to talk about here too off the edge i was getting there don't worry you know i love okay. medisa isaac yeah, so. I, was, I was surprised he wasn't first on your list i guess well <laughs> i wanted to go with the newcomer first and and see how those guys play off of each other i don't think that mustafer and shelton particularly played off of each other complimented each other all that well um so you get a guy like tangelo in there maybe it opens some things up for mustafer maybe it opens some things up on the outside for adisa isaac that guy um, that you mentioned. So I, I think there's potential there. Um, but you just don't know yet. And you haven't seen enough of the, these guys to, to say that these guys can, can change a game and be that guy, you know, that, uh, you know, remember Garrett Sickles against Ohio State and some of these, these defensive line performances that we've kind of gotten used to at times. You just really haven't seen that. So, uh, I'm interested to see what kind of, uh, of turns that they can make and what, what John Scott Jr. is able to do with these guys. Um, so there's potential there, but you're a little worried about uh, those guys that can change the game on the defensive line. I think Smith is in there. Obviously, Mike, a huge question. Uh, you, you know, you, you're wondering what direction Penn State's going to be able to go because this year was just, it was not up to par. Um, and then you get in the backfield. Joey Porter Jr., I think is fantastic, by the way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know that it's such an important position, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it just to see a corner change the game, we really haven't seen that too much at Penn State. Um, so we'll see what happens there. So there's certainly potential there, but Brisker is, is my guy if he's back. 
Brandon Smith, I think, is 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 a good pick by you. And we'll, I guess we'll see for the rest of that defense because you're right. This uh, this question is absolutely right. Um, they were missing a game record this year. There's nobody that you really had to scheme for, and that really showed up every Saturday. It feels like you, you, you're you feeling pretty good about getting a game record back on offense today with Jahan Dotson sticking around. And if you can get a guy or two to emerge in that kind of a role for the defense, I'm with you on Porter. Porter you know, it's, I don't know. Record doesn't really apply. When, when I think game record, I think of – Sideline to sideline, hitting dudes, forcing fumbles. I mean, there's something to be said, though, about a cornerback who can kind of shut down his part of the – maybe it's a game silencer or a game plan wrecker because it's not as obvious, but it has such an impact on, on what the opponent can do. I think Joey Porter does have the capability to maybe, as he takes takes another step, to maybe dictate what the opposing team can, can do against Penn State's defense, kind of how they're gearing things. But I, I think our picks are on the money, and we're going to learn a lot about Jaquan Brisker in a moment. Is he off the table for this conversation, or is he fully in the conversation? Uh, we'll dive into that, I think, uh, with episode number one of the next week and Sean anything else to add I I got a moving truck on the way here and a a big weekend ahead of me here in Happy Valley I was gonna say we're trying to get you out of here moving into your 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 adult house uh with your wife so good luck (laughs) with that this weekend uh one more thing my my buddy Alex down in Texas he listens uh he's actually my buddy from London but uh just became a dad this week I'm so so proud of him so happy for him so hopefully he's uh listening while he's in the waiting room I know they've got some some things to work through but him and him and Jane congratulations guys you're you're awesome Huge congrats. Always like the positive news here on the podcast. For Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue, wishing you all a great weekend ahead. We'll be back with a couple episodes next week and breaking any news along the way up on lines247.com. For now, saying goodbye. We'll talk to you real soon.